Hello, Rachel. Hello, Ryan. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm celebrating. I'm celebrating, Rachel. Do you want to know why? Yeah, what? Why? You don't know? Haven't you heard? Have you heard the news? The war's over, Rachel. That's that pesky old shadow war finally came to a close. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, I think I heard about that. You think you heard about that? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if the message got all the way back to where you live, but where I live, which is with you as well, so it's very strange. Uh, oh, the you're shadow just more war opp- oppressed of current affairs. I, I, I know of current affairs. I, I know of what's happening around me, and the shadow war has finally done donezo we're done with that story i'm sure there'll be no fallout or repercussions that will ripple out and affect characters no it's over it's it's kind of like when the u.s set up right rachel Rachel, it's like when the ussr collapsed once that was done all the nukes just disappeared and no one did anything with them and 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 look how we are today russia's a happy-go-lucky country there's been no long-term ramifications everything's fine it's all good (sighs) I'll trust We're you because y- you are the one that's... I'm well-traveled. And uh, we are here to give everyone the yum-yum perspective on Babylon 5, a science fiction television series that we are going through. We are re-watching, revisiting, and reviewing yum-yum because of what reason, Rachel? Why are we called yum-yum podcast? When people type in to their podcast hosting site of choice, Babylon 5, and press on podcasts, they may see ours and go, I don't remember that reference in Babylon 5. Because it's not from Babylon 5. Unfortunately, the truth is, it's from Star Trek Discovery. Why would we? Why would we want to name anything from Star Trek Discovery? Well, it was your idea, so you Me? explain it. It wasn't a group effort? No. Okay, so how it went down is we watched Star Trek Discovery Season 2 when it came out in the season finale. There was a line of dialogue from a character? By technicality. Person who appears, who appears to give lines. Um, they appear to give lines and they literally appear to give us lines of dialogue, said yum yum out of nowhere. There's no real context for it. It's it's completely nonsensical. It's it's bizarre. It's un, undetermined if it's meant to be funny or not. But we found it funny enough to name our podcast after it. And we are so full of joy, so full of the yum yum spirit that we have brought on a guest to join us this time, Rachel, an old friend. Yeah. Somebody who's who's gone through the trenches with us through through a couple of Dr. Franklin episodes, a Bester episode, and hey, they're back again. Best is here again. Mm-hmm. So is our friend Julio from the Contrarians podcast. Julio, hello. Hey, uh, I would like to start by pointing out that Emperor Georgia is an Oscar-nominated actress now. So, so, so she didn't say retroactively. Yum yum. I think that enhances the yum yum. She she more. didn't say yum yum though, so it doesn't matter. It was commanded. But she was in that scene. It doesn't matter. Don't care. She prompted she the in- yum yum. Yeah, Jason yeah. Isaacs is also in that show. It doesn't elevate nothing. <laughs> <laughs> we have exactly no time to discuss the metaphysical implications. I finished Babylon Five. I've. I've completed the journey. I can finally listen to your show without dreading spoilers. And you have, right? You've been listening. You've been sitting there I'm going. Picking and choosing. I was. I had to make the decision. I was like, do I just? You're yeah, missing I was like, do I our continuity. You're missing our continuity. Look, the continuity in Babylon Five is is pretty scattershot to begin with. 
Julio doesn't understand the Larry Dottilio running bit that we have because he skipped those episodes. <laughs> that fool. Yeah. That fool Julio. So I'm not saying sorry to Larry. Look, like, Julio's I know that his spirits kind of guy, left. Julio's but... the type of guy who only listened to his episodes, the ones he <laughs> <laughs> and then And then skip through. He goes to YouTube. He checks out our episodes, every episode, and he gets the transcript up and he presses Control-F and types in Julio <laughs> and see if he comes up. And you have from time to time. So you have to listen to every episode to hear us talk about you. But you <laughs> host your own podcast. Could you tell everybody here, Rachel especially, what you do? Rachel knows what we do because we recorded with her pretty pretty recently. Uh, what we do is we talk about movies. We talk about movies that are fresh according to the Rotten Tomatoes tomato meter. And we talk about movies that are rotten. Uh, but what we do is we talk badly about the fresh movies and we talk positively about the rotten movies just because it's fun and then on the second half of the show we tell you how we really feel um rachel uh brought the movie waitress to us which was uh it threw us for a loop because i like i told her when we were recording i was expecting a sci-fi pick given that you guys are so entrenched in sci-fi. Yeah, hence whenever and, I'm on your show, I always pick science fiction movies, right, Julio? Uh, okay, see, <laughs> you, go there as, you don't go there as an ambassador to Yum Yum Pod. You go there as, as Ryan. And so you just... Oh, you just Rachel, oh, Rachel, you're not, you're not, like, Rachel, it's official. You're only seen as an, an extension of this podcast and nothing else. And of you. <laughs> and of me. Yeah. He does, Julio doesn't respect you for your mind. <laughs> only for your yum. <laughs> I think that what uh, Rachel needs to do maybe is have a show with Bartek where she just expands uh, her horizons, just shows the world what else she's into Julio um, besides and science fiction. Rachel start hosting their own <laughs> podcast together where they go through episodes of Gilmore Girls one at a time and Rachel teaches Julio why that snarky, snappy dialogue is really good. <laughs> My wife would be thrilled because she's tried to get me to watch Gilmore Girls several times. You go through movies and you talk about them, the opposite of what the critical reception is, and then eventually you give your real opinions, your hard-hitting takes. Sometimes you line up with what the critics have to say, and sometimes you do actually feel and go against the grain. And that's what's bold and brave about your podcast, because you have to make your listeners sit there listening to you be disingenuous for half of it, and then they're left there thinking, well... What's the genuine side going to be? Hmm? What's that going to be? And then you, you you tune in and you go, wow, they played me or I knew all along. That's the game I play with the contrarians. Uh, especially with you. You're, you're, you're pretty easy to read for, for my taste. Like Julio has a certain tone in his voice that says he really doesn't like this. No, you do get Listen to that because you follow both of them on Letterboxd. That is true. They give away their ratings. Um, I cool. don't. I try not to. I usually post after. Three uh, weeks after. Unless it's a movie that we've already seen. But uh, Julio, we are re-watching, revisiting, and talking about Babylon 5. What episode are we going through today? We're going to do episode seven of season four, Epiphanies. Uh, who, I guess we'll discuss this, but who who gets the epiphany here? Or the multiple epiphanies? There's, there's uh, so many. Well, Garibaldi. Wait. He gets an epiphany. Does he get an epiphany? I don't know, especially once we know what's going on with Garibaldi. I don't know that he got an epiphany. I think he was maybe... Well, 
tricked into thinking he had an epiphany. It still counts. It's a big mistake he can make on his own, mister. So what does the DVD have to say about this, Julio? We own the DVDs, you don't, which is a foolish mistake. So we've had to transfer you over the DVD description. So uh, what does it entail? (laughs) All right. Episode 7, Epiphanies, says... Tensions grow as Earth enacts an embargo aimed at closing the station, and Psychor cop Bester comes aboard. But the growing powers of rogue telepath Lita may bring unexpected help to Babylon 5. That is exactly epiphanies. Also, Zack buys a pizza. Uh, <laughs> also, uh-huh. Garibaldi resigns from his position. And also, I, I guess Avonov is here too. And London. Uh, and Franklin dances. Oh, and 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 Jakar has an itchy eye socket. <laughs> Rachel, talk to us about epiphanies. It's it's a fun sort of episode. It's it's hard though because you're coming off this big, bombastic, hard hitting episode, and now it's like, and we're gearing up to go for another story, and it's just like. You just did this massive thing, <laughs> and but it's like, well, Bester's back. Love Bester. Always love Bester. It's continuity. Following up on his frozen girlfriend. popsicle of a girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> We're going back to the Earth conflict as well. Yeah, and it's just like it's following through on things that it's promised. You knew that there would be a big celebration after the war was won, and there's this, but you don't get that sigh of relief. True. It's like they're sort of in that moment of sighing, and then they're like having to hold their breath because besties arrived. It's like what a what what the fuck's going on? Like I remember watching this episode for the first time. I was like, what the fuck are they doing? That's every episode in season four thus far, because they just keep ratcheting (laughs) things up. (laughs) I, on the other hand, was uh, immensely disappointed with the episode on those initial watches because this is the first slowed down story. In season four, it's it's practically all killer, no filler. And those first six episodes are just ramping up relentlessly paced ramping up the tensions and the stakes every single scene is the best scene that the show has ever done it's that type of (laughs) majesty and i don't think i'm exaggerating by any degree like those first six episodes just kept giving you home run after home run after home run so when i came to this which is a breather and a setting of the table for things to come i did not appreciate it I did not see it for what it was. I just was disappointed because, oh, we're going back to the Babylon 5 of yesteryear. Well, I've been enjoying this current Babylon 5 that just does not let up. Now, of course, on subsequent watches, and on this watch in particular, I had a marvellous time with this. I, I really like, like what ooh, it's doing, and this where it's going. That way and, and ooh, that thing. Oh, I forgot they said that thing. There's a lot of continuity <laughs> things that uh, we'll break into, but I just really delighted in the episode as in as its own thing, from beginning, middle to end. Some amazing scenes, some wonderful character moments, and uh, I, I had a I had a blast watching it again. But yeah, my history is a little bit more checkered because even back then, it's not as if I thought this was a bad episode. It was just 
after you follow up greatness so much, no matter what episode comes after, the greatness is obviously stopped. Uh, it's going to be considered weaker, even if it's not a bad episode. Uh, now, Julio, tell us a bit about your thoughts on Epiphanies. When I said you're coming on for this one, what were your thoughts and uh, what's been your history with it? Uh, well, I I specifically didn't look up what the summary was. I was like, I'm just going to watch it. I'm going to go in cold and just see, just relive it as as it plays. Because, you know, I've only seen it once before. And uh, if I'm, I had forgotten. Like, I knew that the Shadow War ended early in Season 4. I've forgotten how early it ends. Because this is Episode 7, and, you know, it opens with a celebration. So um, it instantly reminded me of... Uh, here, this is my controversial take, and I'm not being contrarian. <laughs> Ryan, we've talked about this over on Twitter. I was not the biggest fan of how the Shadow War ended. I I agree that season four opens and it ramps up, ramps up, and then I just I, I just didn't like the way that they that they sold it. I you know I'm not gonna derail the conversation too much going back to an episode you guys have already talked about, but I, I was coming into Epiphanies. I, I think that I didn't have that feeling of a letdown because I wasn't that crazy about the previous episode. So to me, it was more like, all right, we, let's say that the shadows are off the table. Let's see what else we have now. Like, we have all these loose ends. And I remember being intrigued. Uh, the Garibaldi story, I, I think, was one of those things that I I, I had a love-hate relationship throughout the season. Because uh, he was your favorite and- character. It was. But <laughs> that's what I mean. Like, he was your favorite character, so it's intriguing to see what they were doing with him. Right. Yeah, yeah. It, it was... Uh, and it's a good mystery. I mean, uh, it's... They really don't give you any clues. You know, now that you... Once you know what's going on, watching it the second time, you can pick up on, like, all the little things. But uh, when you're first watching it, you have no idea. I mean, anything could have happened. So uh, that's exciting. And then just the the idea of, okay... We have so much, more than half the season ahead of us. What is that going to be about? I mean, obviously, it's going to be about Earth and uh, that conflict, but how are we going to play it out? And then it, this this kind of like gets that started. It, it tells you where all the, the other characters are going to go in a way. And uh, that was, uh, I found it really exciting, even the first time. So uh, I guess that's where we differ. And now rewatching it, uh, yeah, there's a lot of fun to to be had when you're when you know where everything goes because you can pick up on little things. I mean, Besser is <laughs> he's he's always playing three games of chess at the same time, so that's that's always cool to see how everything that he's doing is uh, is setting up things that are going to happen later. It was all for nothing. Sheridan and the others, they're probably laughing right now. Wow, that's all right. I still have an ace in the hole. And it'll hurt them more than anything they've ever done to me. We are cleaning up and tidying up the Londo situation where he's been on Centauri Prime this whole entire season thus far. He has not been on Babylon 5. So this is the episode where he has to come back to Babylon 5, finally. And so does Jakar as well. And... We have to go through the, uh, well, We how do you bring him back to B5? He's prime minister now. Rightfully, he should most likely become emperor soon. We know that's going to be in the cards for him. But hey, 
we really like this actor who played this no-named minister guy. What happens if we made him the regent of Centauri Prime? Because that would be fun. That's that's where we kick off with the Londo things of he's handing over this power that should rightfully be his over to this flailing, silly, comedic character because Londo doesn't want to engage in the fate that he knows is ahead of him. So he's going to just prolong it and he's going to go back to Babylon 5. But, yeah, uh, but let- he's not admitting that that's what he's doing. He's no. like, oh, I'm not safe here. Uh-huh. And but it's like he's trying to back away from that, like the literal threats that are facing him, but also knowing that it's another step towards his premonition of his death. Him throughout this episode, Peter Jurisic plays this really well, right up until when he meets Jakar in the in the uh in the Zokolo area. Mm-hmm. He is trying to be season one Londo, Mr. Mm-hmm. Joyous, I'm laughing, ooh, I'm making all of the quips. But everyone around him doesn't care. But he's trying to do it. And uh, I think that's really a fascinating thing to play off of after everything he's gone through in season four where he's tried to put everything right. Uh, but let's go back to the, the the scene with the minister being crowned regent. Uh, Rachel, what do you think about all of this? I like it. I love Verini. I love the pastels line. We quit that to each other on a regular basis. <laughs> I'm thinking pastels. Like, I, I I genuinely think it's like at least once every two weeks. I'm like, oh, what are we doing for dinner? You'll be like, I'm thinking. I'm thinking pasta. <laughs> you might, you might not do. You might not say pastels or do a pun, but you'll do it in the Verini tone. I do the hand gesture a lot. Yeah, you do. I'm thinking spaghetti. <laughs> <laughs> but the revelation, like this, this uh, passing through the story, like this idea of this random goofy side character who was in one episode previously in season three and has just been a comedic relief throughout season four and an exposition dump of season four, he is the guy that they're handing the keys over to. And we'll get to the final moment of this episode where he gets to shine. Oh, he shines. But your thoughts on that, just in general, like when you were first going through it and even now, like the, I think there's a level of coolness and audacity and as a viewer i'm just happy that a guy that's brought me so much joy is getting something i'm like oh we're gonna get more verini like he wasn't on the side of kitaja but he was empathetic towards the emperor so there was a little bit role of emperor mm, yeah there's a little worry that he would get shuffled out with the clearing of the house of anybody who was loyal to Kataja after they've assassinated him. And after Londo leaves Centauri Prime, you could easily just retire this character and mm-hmm. put him back into the ether of the many other Centauri yeah. ministers we've met. Yeah. But no, he gets a little bit of a pr- promotion and he's like, oh, regents. No, like, who would want to do that? I hear <laughs> that it pays well, but oh, the job is ceremonial. <laughs> it's just like you get you get power, but you don't really have power. And then Linda's like, it's you! And and please, please 
tell us in vivid detail just the reaction, the physical reaction that uh, Damien London has as as Verini for this line, for this re- like information. The glee electrocutes his body, and it, it's like <laughs> it's like his fingertips need to touch each other, and is just like coursing through his veins. And he does that, and it's like reaching out, and it's just like, oh, he's so. Happy. Flamboyant. Uh, Flagrant fruity. And it crashes down on him so soon. Very soon. He didn't even get to do the redecorating. Ah, he is. (laughs) When I saw this, I clapped and I was so thrilled because as a viewer myself, when I watch shows, and you know this to be true, Rachel, I'll make little comments or I hope for random things that I don't think will ever happen for side characters. We just went through Farscape for the first time, and there's the character that we love called uh, uh, Bracca. And there was a scene with Bracca where he's just a right-hand man of the main antagonist, barely gets any lines of dialogue. And there was a scene where a door was going to close, like a, a mechanical door, and I just joked, you know, he should grab his hench. He should grab like his henchman, his faceless henchman, and throw him in the way of the door so it jams open. And that's what he did, and I was so happy. And those are the type <laughs> of moments I uh, I get so excited over. So this guy who I love, I love this performance. This is the type of performance I would love to do myself. He's just so mincing and just hamming it up. And I just, still even now, even knowing where the story goes with him, I have a big smile on my face, not only because the character's getting rewarded, but in part I know that, they're giving this actor something. Because yeah. at least to my eyes from the very beginning, I could tell that this wasn't a guy that was in the plan, the big JMS plan. He was just a guy that did a good job. And they liked him. You can all I I at least growing up with 90s television, there are those specific performers that I've just got a keen awareness of when I watch TV of saying the writers or the directors or the producers really liked this person and they brought them back. I grew up with Reg Barkley from TNG, so I know that sensation very well. And this was just one of those. So the pastels line is iconic, and I love it very much. Now, Julio, you're revisiting this, so please tell us uh, your your overall thoughts and opinions and feelings on Verini here. See, I'm a little dis- different because I, I like Verini, but honestly, I remember that reveal that he was going to be in charge, sort of in charge. I mean, yeah, he is he's a figurehead, but still, that they were going to put him as a figurehead. Uh, I like I thought it was funny and I thought it was kind of ingenious because I liked the character but I also like it was to me it was mostly a joke right that was like all right I guess we're closing this this plot line uh with a gag you know <laughs> <laughs> we had this this monster running the 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 planet running the empire and now we're going to put the complete opposite uh, in charge and that's how we close it. and then now we move on and I mean, that's fine. You know, when I watched it, it was just this, you know, I laughed and then I shrugged it off. On rewatch, it's just so tragic (laughs) that it's, I actually like it a lot better because it's not just, uh, you know, it's a joke in the surface, but then you know what's going to happen to him. And 
I was actually surprised that we find out at the very end of this episode. I thought that we we had a few episodes before we even knew that he was in danger. And but here it's just like we open with that and we close with that. And it it definitely makes me appreciate his character a lot more because it, I I know it has more dimensions coming down. You know, the line. a few a few episodes. Yeah, so. I liked him before, and now I like him even better because I know how bad he's going to have it. He subverts your expectations because he's presented as the comedy thing. Oh, we're ending this on a joke. But he becomes a deeply tragic and deeply dramatic character while still allowing that actor to keep that flamboyance we love so much in this performance, but then turn it around into something that's really upsetting to see. And when you do rewatch it, you get to have that different wave of sensation than the first time, where they call back to the pastels line in season five, and it's really sad. He's like, there, there, there's no time for pastels anymore, only darkness. It's like, oh, brother, no. <laughs> and so Babylon 5 is very rewarding like that. If I could just throw this, this random question at you, since you've just finished Babylon 5 and I haven't got to talk to you much about it, when it comes to those minor characters those those these type of characters like Varini or Narun or Talon or several of those what's one to you that you were surprised that you found yourself caring about okay this has to be the right answer because it just came to mind like as soon as i heard the question uh the maybe she's not the, so minor but the the mars resistance leader that number ends one. up i guess number 1 right like the one that ends up replacing uh, uh Garibaldi. Mm-hmm. I mean Tessa, yeah. She has, I don't know, five episodes total. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh but I really like her. I I you know I was I was so happy with where her journey ended. And I found that very satisfying. And I think that I just you know she definitely made an impression. She uh you know she hooked up with Franklin, which is always kind of like a roll of the dice <laughs> for a character. But in her case, it worked out. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go with her. I should tell you, the Centaurum met this morning to discuss choosing a new emperor. With all the recent problems, they voted to postpone any decisions for a while so they could choose more wisely this time. Probably a good idea. The royal bloodline isn't what it used to be. Too much intermarrying, I suppose. I always say, when you reduce a family tree to a family bush, you just can't hide as much beneath it. (laughs) Londo is here at Babylon 5, and he's trying to be wacky season one funny (laughs) Londo. And what did you just think of that, Rachel? How he's flipping into that mode again. I was like, everybody loves trying to goad Zach for whatever reason, and I, like that's the main thing that I was thinking of. Like, oh, you're just trying to piss Zach off, aren't you? <laughs> like, he's bragging about having killed his own emperor. Yes. <laughs> yes. He said I couldn't leave until it was over his dead body, and you said I couldn't come back until it was over your dead body. I can only do so much, Mister Allen. <laughs> he's great. I'm so pleased. Did you? So... Did you? Did you miss Funny Londo? It's been a while since we've had like this type of funny Londo. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, it works for me here. There have been a couple of the times where they've tried to slip in funny Londo, and it just is sad. 
<laughs> instead of funny because it's like, you're doomed. You're doomed. <laughs> you're portraying me a clown <laughs> as you walk into the shadows. God damn you. Uh, but it was, it was fun. It was fun to have it back, even if it is just for a little while. <laughs> There was that sequence on the Zocalo where you have that nice tight close-up shot as he's holding these big, like, goblets or these big, like, uh, you know, mugs or whatever, and he's doing the Londo thing where he's going, ah, and he's, like, yelling and laughing very hysterically and shaking his head back and forth, and it really brought back memories of soulmates. Do you remember that episode, Julio, the one where Londo's wives come to the station? Mm-hmm. And is that in, the one where the uh, one of the wives tries to kill him? Yes, and the beginning okay. of Londo in that is we see him in the casino and he's gambling and he's just won and he's like a tight close up shot of him laughing as he cheers and pays for everyone's drinks and it's and that was right before everything went to shit for Londo like right before the coming of shadows and I just had memories of oh remember a few seasons ago where you didn't feel guilty for liking Londo unconditionally because he was a silly guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he's he's bringing that bringing that back, but there's always an undercurrent of it's false. Like with Zach Allen's interactions, a touch that I really liked in the customs is he's doing all of that joking stuff, but nobody's finding it amusing. Like none of these trainees or Zach Allen or anyone is smiling really or laughing or enjoying this guy's company at all. He is just a pest that they have to deal with, and not in a oh, it's like a sitcom, my wacky neighbor. It is, yeah, I'm talking to a war criminal. That's, yep. And then and, and then I oh, can't look, tell him to fuck off. Oh, look, and my job also involves now I'm having to talk to a, a, a literal fascist cop. Great. Awesome. I better leave before something else happens. That's crazy. And then Elvis is coming. Um, <laughs> marvelous gag. Uh, Julio, you were and I imagine still are a big fan of the Londo character he goes through so many changes there's times where you're for him and against him uh talk to us a bit about your your overall thoughts and experiences of him in in this episode where he's only in it briefly but there's still a lot of weight and gravitas and humor I was just thinking as as we were recounting this this entrance and just thinking of what happens next in the episode do you think it's a wasted opportunity that he doesn't get to that he doesn't get a scene with Garibaldi? Like the Gar- I mean Garibaldi gets a scene with Jakar, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a little bit, but uh because I was thinking of early seasons Londa and he had that connection with Garibaldi that kind of faded away, I guess, once he once he became a bad guy mm-hmm. for a while. And uh I guess I, I to me, all the way to the end, there's always there always these two characters that had a connection, even if the show stopped kind of exploring it. But this moment would have been good because you're right. You know, he shows up and nobody finds him amusing, but maybe the one person that would have maybe understood him a little better or would have had a different reaction than everybody else would have been uh, Garibaldi, uh, who's going through his own shit here. So, uh, but I like him. I like him a lot. I, I grew to like him more and more as the show went on. I think that, Season one, maybe he was a little too wacky for me, and I gravitated more towards the uh, the humans, you know, because they were a little more relatable. Whereas uh, Londo was a lot more cartoony, and and Jakar was just you know more of a bad guy, and 
but then as the as the show goes on and he gets to to show all his other facets and you get to see him go through a lot of stuff and uh I mean he I, I think he ended in my top five by the end of the show. So he's a it, it, of course, you know, he's a tragic character, so that adds to it. It's kind of like what we're saying about the, the regent. It's like even when you see him happy, as what Rachel was saying, you know that it's it's he's doomed. Oh, and but the thing is, Londo brings it upon himself. The difference is he brought it upon himself, his tragedies, his woes, because he, he was a nationalistic asshole who realized too late that power is a bad thing. Jakar even has a, an amazing line. Oh, fucking love that line so much. About power. And, he just and how casually he casually ref- drops it in. How he refuses just like, it. Oh. Which is the opposite of Londo. Londo takes power, but also he's trying to withhold it because he knows as well, but he's still going to take power because yeah. he can't help himself. They both know that power has a cost and Jakar rejects it because, like, the as Nagrath would say, the price is too high. The price, the price is high. high. price is too high. Uh, but Londo doesn't have that same control because he lusts after it too much. And he feels obliged to take it because he knows what's best for everyone and yet he does not... Uh, the sequence where Jakar and him have their standoff and the noise drains away and it's just them two talking. And Andreas Katsoulis in this episode up until this moment has been a very joyous figure as Jakar, very jovial, very funny, lines about like, my eye itches even though it's not there or the whole gag about, I think the instrument looked like this one but I couldn't see it because it came at me like this and Franklin's having to say, (laughs) he garners laughter out of you but when you throw him in a scene with Londo, yeah, you can have humour there but there's been so much bad blood between these two, he literally lost an eye. The pain you, runs deep. You have to make it count. And I thought this was uh, a brief scene, but one that really sets the tone for what they're going to go through for the rest of the season. Because for the rest of the season, Londo has to build up be- that that relationship with Jakar. Actually has to extend himself and, and humble himself and, and try to relate to Jakar's plight outside of his own selfishness. And here, Jakar's he's at that limit where he says, basically, you're dead to me. You don't exist in my world. If we see each other again, uh, you know, that will be a bad thing for you. Go away. Uh, we're, we're donezos here. And I just... Those two actors, they really are the best actors, and this is just an exchange between them, and yet, to me, it's one of those memorable scenes in the episode. Julio, what did you think about that moment? Uh, I just realized that I was... I'm pretty sure that even on first watch, I was rooting for them to bury the hatchet, which is, (laughs) out of context, or maybe with all the context, it's kind of a weird thing to say, because... Lando has done so many horrible things that I think that in real life I would just be urging Jakar to just don't even waste his time with this guy. But uh, I guess in the show, as I'm watching it, I do want I want Lando to find redemption, and I want these two to actually have a relationship like the one that was hinted at at some point, even before you know before things got really bad, and this. I mean, it tells you, you know, you're episode seven of the season. So them having a scene like that 
this early in the season is very different than them having a scene like that at the end of the season. So you know that it's it's promising what you you know that they're this is going to be one of the things that we're going to be seeing. Not them not talking to each other again, but actually this dynamic is going to be explored throughout the rest of, you know, the next 17 episodes or so. Uh, I like them together. I, I, I think that whether they're arguing or helping each other or reluctantly uh, teaming up, I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite pairings on the show. And I was glad it's, it's funny because London does some horrible things in this show. And I, Realize that I, I'm. It's not that I'm more willing to forgive him for it, but I, I'm. I find myself rooting for him to redeem himself to find you know the, the better side of his of himself. Uh, whereas Garibaldi is at the point in this in the show where he's about to do some pretty bad things, at least uh, the way that I experienced him on the show, and I was a lot less likely to cut Garibaldi to slack than I cut Londo. And, did you guys have a similar experience? How do you guys feel about um, when you're watching that scene? I mean, were you guys hoping that Jakar and Londo would, yeah, oh yeah, would make it through? Would yeah, <laughs> would be buddies? Because throughout the series already, they've been close to being friends, and then Londo fucks it. Oh, Londo, I hear that the Centauri are great. I'll buy you a drink. And Londo already knows he started a war. There's so many situations in which these two could be friends, but they just can't be. And that's the show. That's the show. Now, as as a as a young viewer looking at it, I I just had that sensation that they won't be friends until the very ending because what that's that's television. That would be great dramatic television, that these two will always collide and come into each other's orbits, but it can never be until the very end because you have to earn it. Because Londo has done so many horrible things, you, the viewer, you have to go through the journey and, and see how they can actually earn the friendship. But to your point about Garibaldi, just to touch on that, the difference is Londo knows what he's doing is wrong. That's what makes him a fascinating character he knows what he's doing is wrong but he still does it anyway he has the ability of self-reflection but he still denies himself well garibaldi in this season by what we learn at the end but even before then you know that he doesn't have that he there's something off about him but at the same time you can't quite pin it down until you get that big reveal <laughs> yeah, at the end of the season. He hasn't but... come back the same, but you don't know what's shifted because it's like, well, yeah, Garibaldi was always a bit of a jerk, but he <laughs> he didn't cross that line. And now he's going way beyond it and he doesn't seem to be able to control his instincts anymore. You know, the one thing in life that you can be sure about is that you're going to make mistakes. Big ones, small ones, you know, the kind of mistakes that take your breath away and haunt you for the rest of your life. It happens. I've had to learn that the hard way. But this, right or wrong, this is something that I got to do for myself. I actually found that this was the first episode of season four in which I actually bonded with Garibaldi. Yeah, because like, in the okay. other se- in the other episodes he was an absolute piss ant. Well here it didn't even come through a place of <laughs> anger, but just a place of I can't do this anymore. He, and I related to that. I could understand that. It resignated to resigning. That's a great way to put it, yeah. 
I think I just don't like uh, soft-spoken Garibaldi. Like that was, <laughs> I remember him getting on my nerves. Not in this rewatch. I think that once you know what's going on with him, um, the explanation that because I think that part of it was that I I was just finding it so jarring. And you're right. I mean, the show tells you that there's something going on. You just don't know what, and so that kind of gives the show leeway to make him act in a way that doesn't quite flow with the way that he was before. Uh, but, it, you know, I was missing that that connective tissue. I was like, okay, this was mm-hmm. Garibaldi in, at the end of season three and then Garibaldi in season four after he comes back. And the show is giving me the explanation of, well, something happened. <laughs> We're going to tell you at some point. But until I found out, it was really frustrating to see him acting in a way that is kind of like him, but not quite like him. And I still find it frustrating on every single rewatch. It's well, but it's—I like, I think that it's now I, I find it also rewarding, just mm-hmm. because the explanation is just so genius, right? It's like it's kind of like him, but not quite like him, because all they did was just uh, amplify certain things in him. So they've removed his character development because. What I think is really ingenious about this, because you're right, where you're first viewing it, it annoys you, it doesn't feel right. Yet, at least I had this especially, there's parts of you justifying it, going, well, what I know about his character, he he would always run away all the time. When things got too stressful, when things got too hot, he would leave lease. He would run away from this job and this job and this job, and here he is. Or he would get fired from this job. He would self-sabotage. But since we've spent three to four seasons of him not doing that, you became comfortable. But when you think about it, this has always, like, this, even if you, and that's why the reveal of what's going on with Garibaldi makes sense. It's always been within him. That's his, that's that's mm-hmm. who he was. And so when he has that speech with Zach about how giving him a chance and all of that, Sinclair gave him that chance. Sinclair was the guy who gave Garibaldi that chance, and Garibaldi gave Zach that chance. And so... I understand, especially in this episode, because this is the first real episode we got to sit down with Garibaldi, and he actually, and, and I know you said it, soft-spoken Garibaldi, but it's actually great to have soft-spoken Garibaldi after three to four episodes of him being conspiracy theorist, snarky, I don't like you being Space Jesus Sheridan Garibaldi, <laughs> where you go, yeah, I can understand your frustrations, but you're not articulating them in a way that makes you understandable to everyone around you. Well, this is the first episode, really, where he sat down with the people and said, here's why I'm thinking the way I am. And it lines up, at least at least even without the, the mind control stuff that Bester's put in him. I said they're going, I can see why. I can see why you would do this, but uh, uh, just to just to emphasize for the Yumlings out there, this is the episode where Garibaldi resigns as the chief of security, and he'll never come back to be chief of security. He never comes back to the job. Did you expect him to ever come back to it, Julio? Oh yeah, yeah. I I didn't realize it is not a bad thing. I mean, I didn't realize that they were. It's not so much okay. I'm not so surprised that he didn't make it back. That he didn't return. I'm more surprised that Zach stays as chief of security all the way to the end because i love zach but i didn't know that he had it in him and yet somehow the show keeps him as chief of security and he you know he's there until the very end so i i think that that's a bigger surprise but i was no i i always assumed that 
Garibaldi was, whenever we found out what was happening with him, then they would fix it and then he would come back and, you know, back to the status quo. So, uh, yeah, I mean, obviously they don't go that way. And that is, it's, I have, uh, you know, mixed feelings about the whole Garibaldi thing. I, I feel like the explanation is pretty awesome. Uh, I just wish that we had, you know, Londo, going back to Londo, Londo has so much of a journey to to make up for the bad things he did. And I don't think that Garibaldi gets to have that. I think that Garibaldi has, uh, you know, he does some, some pretty bad things and then everybody's kind of like cool about it once once it's revealed what happened to him because they yeah. all know who bester is in this episode everyone's on the same page you we hate you bester oh come on we're friends don't you trust me no 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 <laughs> you. We in a world trust you in a world where one of their friends already talia winters became a fucking freaky mind-controlled assassin thing i think it's understandable but just to counter you a bit i think this is what makes it hard babylon 5 doesn't always give you the happy little ending to arcs because what happens after is Garibaldi falls into alcoholism because right. he can't cope with what he did for a whole year under the control of a fucker that he can't kill. And I know you specifically would have loved the ending to be Garibaldi kills Bester mm. and then he's happy oh, yeah. <laughs> and then it's over. But instead... Well, no, no, no. Actually, I don't need Garibaldi to be happy. I just need Bester to be dead. <laughs> but you know but you know what I'm saying when I say that statement. Yes, like, yeah. He but, kills but a baddie and just, then he's right to... off into the sunset. But instead, it's like he struggles with alcoholism for the rest of his life and he becomes a filthy, stinking Republican <laughs> capitalist who smokes cigars. And you're like, damn, that's that. how he ends? I... <laughs> you're like, it makes sense. <laughs> but damn <laughs> I, i'm fine with that no it, it, just to flesh it out more on, on this sense uh, on, on this area of the garibaldi act i think that what really bothers me is that i guess it's not really garibaldi sheridan i i i can't i have a hard time wrapping my head around the fact that i even after everything that happens and you know everything is explained sheridan ends up being you know i could have used like one episode or even one scene where they like kind of have it out and share it and you know where it's a little messy where it's a little messier than you know what we end up having which is like sure it's just kind of cool it's like oh you rescued me more like what she (laughs) more like what he has with Lita yeah in this episode episode. it's it's strange actually to to, to Julio it's one of the best scenes in the episode it's one of the best scenes Julio actually has an interesting point because weirdly in season 5 they give that role not to Sheridan but to Lockley. Like, Lockley rides Garibaldi's ass in season five. And it's like... Nothing to do with this. Is it only because if we didn't do that, Lockley would have nothing in season five? I I like Lockley as a character, but I'm trying to think, like, is that a rationale of Lockley's a volatile personality and so is Garibaldi? Put them in scenes, Mm. it will be good. And they are. They're some of the best scenes Mm -hmm. of her. Sparks will fly. But I, I, I understand, and I think that does make this experience a little bit more hollow because... You see Sheridan here. He's struggling to come to terms with Garibaldi's decision. They all are. Uh, Franklin is trying to come at it from the medical perspective, like, oh, you need to have some rest. Take a couple of days off. And Sheridan's looking at it from the soldier, captain, military leader, and he's looking at it from that, I understand that you need a break. And when Garibaldi flips it around, uh, honestly, for all of the bad stuff that evil Garibaldi goes through, I really did like him flipping it around in that conversation about 
we fought for this. If we mm. didn't, if we didn't, what what was the point? Look, I didn't come here to argue with you. I just wanted to tell you because you got a right to know. We all went through hell together, and whether you realize it or not, we're all damn lucky to be alive. I did my part, and now it's it's time for me to try and find a life for myself. The war was about finding our own way and making our own choices. If you won't let me do that, if if I can't carve out just a little bit of happiness for myself, then I have to ask, what the hell are we fighting for? Zach Allen becoming chief of security was not something on my on my bingo card either, because even though he went through this amazing arc with the Night Watch, I always kept thinking of him as a disposable character. Yeah. You could just so, get rid of well, him, and I wouldn't miss him. But I, I love him. Lou. Blue just Lou. disappeared. But he, 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 <laughs> Zach steps up to the plate, much to your surprise, much to your surprise. Zach's got a lot of great material in this episode alone. My, my personal favorite scene was between him and Garibaldi. I really like that conversation where they don't have to tell us what Zach's past is. And they never do. They never no. get into it. But it does come up from time to time. Yep. That like Zach you have had a something dark in history. And it is interesting with the context of the actor yeah. as well and the degree to which maybe a meta commentary does come into that. Do you want to give that detail, Ryan? Well, do you know who I, I, I Well, Julio, I, I do because uh, Ryan and I know. talked about it from a from a future episode in season five. I I did not realize when watching B five who Zach Allen was as as like the actor. I just knew him as Kaniki and Zach Allen, and I think of him as Zach Allen first because I don't really care for Greece. Nope, but. <laughs> and I've watched more, and there's more B5. So there's more of him as, as, as Zach Allen. And I didn't realize until much later the actor's real-life troubles and that he had substance abuse issues and he was in successful things like Taxi. I didn't realize he was in Taxi. I knew Danny DeVito and Christopher Lloyd and Andy Kaufman and, and so on and so forth, but I didn't realize he was there too. So he was somebody who had a career and he fucked it up. Like he, you know, he got on people's bad sides. He got a bad reputation because of his substance abuse issues. And when he came to Babylon Five, he was auditioning as just a background extra, just as one of the security people with no lines of dialogue. And JMS and the casting people were surprised because it's it's Jeff Conaway. I mean, it's it's Zach. I mean, Zach. Who's this? We can't just let this guy have no name. We have to call him something because that's Kaniki. Like, that's the guy from Mm -hmm. Taxi. And JMS gave him a chance. JMS gave him the opportunity to get his career to a place where he thought it should be. And Mm. so this conversation has that meta aspect of the show itself saying, we gave this performer somebody that the industry and maybe you, the viewer, didn't believe and didn't expect anything from anymore. And we gave them the opportunity to shine. And I've said this on the pod many times before, but when I rewatch Babylon 5, Zach Allen usually remains in my top five characters. I love Zach Allen. I love this performance. And this conversation is just a beating heart of joy for me. It's just, it, it makes me feel so many things. And 
both of these actors, Jerry Doyle and Jeff Conway, they both suffered from substance abuse issues. Uh, Jerry Doyle was for alcohol. And, and so there's a lot of realness coming from the two performers, and they'll mine that even more in season five. JMS will go further with their relationship in season five when it comes to, to this. But uh, Julio, for you, what did, what, what did you think about this moment here? And talk to us a bit about your understanding of, uh, of, of, of Zach Allen and Jeff Conway. So see, I know Jeff Conway from Greece. That was... Uh... You know, when I when he showed up in, in Babylon 5, I was like, oh, it's Kariki. And that automatically gave him a leg up as far as me becoming endeared to the character. And I didn't know what to expect. I, I think that you said something like, oh, you know, don't worry, Zach has a has a story. There's a story for Zach. And then, I mean, indeed, indeed there is. Because <laughs> he, he sticks around until the very end. And I I like it. I I like what he goes through. I like the performance. Uh, Every season, I was I was afraid that we we're gonna lose Zach. That it was gonna be one of those things where they make these characters that's really likable. I find them really likable, uh, and and then they're building him up just so that they will hurt when he's gone. Uh, so it was a relief that you know every episode, every season, he actually makes it. Uh, I didn't know that. I, I thought that uh, Rachel was asking me about the specific. Uh, substance abuse angle to it uh, for the conversation he has uh, with Garibaldi when he falls off the wagon in season five. But uh, I think it's amazing that that he that James gave him a chance, you know, from seeing him audition to just be a background uh, uh, role to actually give him a, a part and a part that just went on uh, for the rest of the series. So that's that's great. I think that he's good uh, at being. Um, you know he's the everyman on, on on the station. He's one of those characters where he's uh, relatable because he's not. It's not like he thinks that he's in control of everything. Uh, uh, you know he he doesn't think that he knows everything like like Garibaldi does or even like Sheridan. He is uh, he's friendly. He doesn't let his work define him. And uh, like I said earlier, <laughs> specifically at this point in his journey on the show. He doesn't have all that extra responsibility weighing on him, so he's actually a little more lighthearted than what we'll see him be later. But even to the end, uh, you know, he never really goes to the dark side uh, like so many of the other characters in the show do. Uh, so yeah, no, I'm I'm a big fan of Zach. I I don't know, I don't think he's top five. He might be top ten for me uh, by the time that the show was over. He, he whenever you rewatch it, maybe he'll he'll crop up. He's a, he's a slow burn because. He is just a nice person. I really like, I've said this many times, my thing about Zach is there's that exchange he has with Sheridan in season two where Sheridan's talking about Winston Churchill let the bombing of Coventry happen and the amount of weight and burden and the tough choices you have to make. And Zach just says, oh, geez, that's a lot. I don't think I could live with myself if I have to make choices as tough as that and then the series is like zach has to make tough choices watch him struggle (laughs) and here he gets to be chief of security and he doesn't like it that's what makes him uh more relatable is zach allen does feel the burden of responsibility he doesn't want it but it doesn't make him incompetent at having it the only reason that guy is still alive is that half the time i don't know what the hell he's talking about the other half i wish i didn't 
But that's why it's important to check in on customs on a regular basis. You never know who's going to walk in the... Just a guess, Mr. Allen, but I'd suggest the word you're looking for is door. We didn't ask who had yum yum energy at the top of this one. Who has yum yum energy in this episode? Is it is it Bester? He always has Franklin. What's well, Franklin? Franklin. Fra- da- him well, he's dancing, dancing at the beginning is, of the episode. Yeah, him dancing in, at the party is there is a little yum. Can yum. I bring up a contender that uh, <laughs> usually has it as well? Jakar. When he comes mm-hmm. into to Garibaldi's quarters, quarters and he's playing it deadly serious, oh, he's, he's playing not only you but but Garibaldi. So and fun. then he grabs him and lifts him in the air and starts singing breathe. and cheering on about how happy he is to see Garibaldi again. That's a yum yum moment. That's so yeah. filled with yum yum energy. Garibaldi's <laughs> having trouble breathing. Uh, that's how that's how much <laughs> yum yum energy is exuding. From Jukar. That scene there, in a lesser show, could have been forgotten. In a lesser show, you could have skipped that scene. Absolutely. I've seen countless, countless dramas completely fumble that, where they just, oh, oh, yeah. Wouldn't have, it would have been nice if you actually touched base with that because the whole reason Jakar lost his eye, freed his people and everything was because mm-hmm. he was looking for Garibaldi and Garibaldi appreciates that he was looking for him even if it did get all of this because Gar- Jakar was the only person who was looking for him. He was one of the few people who actually cared about Gar- like his well-being and that was just a... I don't have too much to say about that scene other than... It's extremely sweet. It's extremely nice, and it touches base with a lot of the comments we've made about all of the scenes thus far, which is it it brings a smile to your face that they they gave us us and the characters this little treat, this little re- reward. And uh, Jakar has the whole sentiment, which I think embodies his character for the rest of the series, about how. If you give back to the universe, it gives back to you, just not in ways that you expect it to. Uh, you are you are a fan of uh, the relationships and friendships in this series, uh, Julio. Talk to us a bit about when you turned this episode on, you didn't remember what one you were going into. When this scene played out, your overall feelings about it? Uh, I remember my overall feeling. It was, it was that sudden reminder that it was a bummer that Jakar was not the one that ended up finding Garibaldi. <laughs> but I mean, it it the story obviously goes in a different way, but I remember a few episodes prior when uh, Jakar goes, decides to go on this quest to find Garibaldi. I was so looking forward to him being the one that finds Garibaldi <laughs> and brings him back. Uh, and so the show threw me for a loop when instead Jakar <laughs> ended up captured and tortured and, you know, his story... Uh, went somewhere else, and I I think that it's this scene is vital. I don't know how anybody. I mean, yes, you could take it in the sense that you could take it off the episode in the sense that you can just assume that they had this reunion uh, that it happened off camera. But to me, it's vital. You have to see it because you've. Uh, I agree. It's not just that. Yeah, you had that that you know truncated uh, adventure that Jakar went on, but also the what I was saying earlier, right? The, at some point, the show decided that they were going to abandon the London Garibaldi uh, dynamic and slowly transfer it into 
uh, Jakar Garibaldi. And so you needed to keep that alive. I, I think that it's just, uh, uh, it was necessary. <laughs> And it was it was a nice reminder because again you know it's not like I watched like you guys I didn't rewatch the entire series up to this point but this scene just reminded me of how much had happened between these two characters over the last season and a half or so uh, just to see uh, just be reminded of how much Jakar grew to care about Garibaldi because how Garibaldi helped him uh, when Jakar needed it and so no I I, I love this scene not not my favorite in the episode but it's. It's definitely a, a strong contender. We haven't discussed uh, this a lot on the podcast, Rachel, but I think this is a great opportunity since Jakar brings yes. it up. Jakar, through his friendship with Garibaldi, learns to accept people outside of his own species. In the first season, his he first really... non non-friend. Friend. In the first season, that was a hurdle with Jakar for the other characters of we can't trust Jakar to do the right thing because he is the angry nun who's looking out for himself and mm-hmm. his people mm-hmm. and we have to trick him a lot of the time to do the right thing. We have to play him or by the end of season one, you, you sway him enough, but even then. And we haven't really had a chance to, to, to hit upon how the relationship with Garibaldi is really pivotal to Jakar being able to mm. be a team player with everyone else. Yeah, it's so important because Jakar is such a broken man at the start and he knows that he can trust his own people and the brutality of the Centauri have led him to believe that Anybody who isn't non isn't worthy of that trust. But Garibaldi persists and shows him that he is. And it's not like Garibaldi set out for that. He's like, he sees Jakar as a member of the team and that. He need that Jakar needs to pull his weight, and it's a consequence of that that Jakar learns to accept and embrace Garibaldi in a way that we really haven't seen him do with anybody else because all of the other friends that he has not only are none but are existing friendships. Mm. He is a man that relies on actions rather than words. So he does not care for Malari because he's a man of nothing but words. He's just a gas bag. He doesn't care for Delen because she's a woman of empty words in his eyes at the very in the first half of the series, even in season three. And same with the many human characters, but Garibaldi was a man of action. He would help. He would give him resources. He would actually aid his people. That's also why he also respects Franklin as well, because Franklin's a man of action too. But as Jakar evolves as a person, he becomes a man of words himself. And by the end of the series, one of his deepest connections is Delenn. They become tight because both of them are people who understand the power of speech, the power of communication. But in this first 
chunk of the series, he needs people to actually follow through on things outside of just the the speechifying that Sinclair or Sheridan would give him. But Garibaldi doesn't do the speechifying. Garibaldi does the actions that is required to help. And so he did the same here, where I'm not going to sit back and talk about how I miss Garibaldi. I'm going to physically go out there and risk my life because he has shown me that there are people worth risking my life for that aren't just Narns. Hence, he went out on this adventure. And yeah, it didn't give you that neat little satisfaction of, oh, Garibaldi's going to be the guy who saves Jakar. I mean, Garibaldi's going to be saved by Jakar, being found by Jakar, but it gave us something else, something completely unexpected, but you can follow the trail. Narn is now saved as a planet. Because of that journey that he went on, and he acknowledges that within that scene of the unintended consequences of going out with that sort of open heart attitude. Who knew that the question, whatever happened to Mr. Garibaldi, would change Shakar and the Nan forever? That's why I came here, to thank you. Through your friendship, you became the one thing outside my own people that I could care enough about to risk being captured. And in so doing, helped me serve my people more than I had dreamed possible. Bester is back, baby. We haven't even touched upon Bester, Bester really. He has my favorite line in this episode, one of my favorite quips, I should say, which is when he comes through the gates at customs and he tells Zach, uh, you got my quarters ready for me, the brig? Uh, he's so my usual quarters. my usual quarters the brig oh I love them so much and he walks off himself to go take himself to the brig he's got so familiar with their dynamic that he can just play it out and we have talked about this on the podcast many times and the last time we had you on Julio which was for dust to dust Bester's a fascinating villain because he has super mind powers which makes him almost god mode so every single installment has to find a new way to make it so our crew can counter him or our crew can contend with him and through doing that it also means that Bester's attitudes towards the crew evolves over time when the very first episode he would refuse to speak to them with his actual mouth he would do it with his brain and at this point he has just got so used to it that he even knows who Zach Allen is for fuck's sake like, like he's even at the point where it's like I know who Zach is and I have to finish his sentences for him like you talk about how it would be great if Garibaldi was at that gate there and everything I do like the fact that Bester's at this level where he's like god I'm having to deal with this underling like that's how entrenched I am with B5 at this point now how happy were you on a scale of 1 to 10 that Bester was back Julio from 1 to 10 probably uh, an 8 and I, I, I mentioned it last time. Bester gives me low key anxiety because it's that thing of okay, how are they going to handle him this time? And the answer on this episode is they have Lita. So Lita is uh, the latest way to block him, keep him under control. Which I had forgotten. Uh, uh, so Sheridan is not aware of how powerful she is. No one is until the until the end of the episode. Uh, so was he just hoping that 
she would be enough to stop Bester. Yeah, in... he was gambling. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Watching the episode until we got to the end, I had forgotten that part. So I just thought that uh, Sheridan was fully aware of how powerful she was. So that's why he was like, "Yeah, come over, sit in on the meeting with Bester." There's and, rumors, and as Zach Allen says, there's rumors of how powerful she is. So he probably has an inkling that she's been altered and she could hold Kosh, but he didn't know how powerful she was. Yeah, I mean, he definitely knows by the end of the episode. Oh, and he's very happy about it. <laughs> oh, yeah, but uh, he's also like, don't fucking cross me, bitch. That's, I, I was joking. He's very furious about how powerful she is. <laughs> no, but he is. It's useful to him, but he's yeah. very angry. Oh, yeah, he's very angry that she used that power against him, against him not with him. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll have a whole section on the Sheridan leader because that is an um, probably the best one of the best scenes of the episode. But you were saying mm-hmm. Bester brings us anxiety. There's always a level of uh, how do we trap him? How do we get him to play ball with us? Yes, and now that anxiety is compounded with the fact that I know that he gets away with it. I know how the story ends, and this fucker doesn't get his. So it's it's even. You know, it's it's not even just the anxiety. It's just this kind of frustration. Um, so I was glad. I, it also made me relish the the couple moments here where he is caught unaware. Like when Lita pushes him back. That, that's beautiful. That has a very unique sequence film to it because we get this weird POV-ish shot of him scanning those stray thoughts and the the weird filter on it, the desaturation, the lens that they use, and they're getting right up close to the actors' faces. Mm-hmm. I I enjoyed that. And the Patricia Tolman, she she has a very striking look, and she knows how to pull like these exact expressions that are memorable. So when she whips around and those eyes are widened, <laughs> and they just death stare over, and we cut back to Walter Koenig just slamming back in his chair... <laughs> And she then gives him this cheeky little smile like a schoolgirl who's just gotten away with something. <laughs> Top tier Lita moment for me. I love Ooh. Lita. I love I her. I love Lita more and more every time. Lita. Lita's an underrated character. And mainly it's because it took four seasons for her to become a main character. But you knew that she was because she was in the pilot. She was in season two, <laughs> some of season three, and then finally she's here. And she says, you know, I- I don't know if this is a hot take. No, it isn't. It's not a hot take, but it's a true take. She says in season four, bitch, I got more character than that Talia Winters ever did. (laughs) Talia sucks. I'm better. I'm leader. No one wants to be- I'm the OG, I'm the OG. I've got god powers in my brain, and I can defeat this little fuck. I had gills. Fuck you. I mean, Rachel, for you- you're very similar yes. to, to Julio when it comes mm-hmm. to Besta. So I imagine you had an extra level of delight, especially because we're going week oh, to week, yeah. to see somebody who also has mind powers mm-hmm. put him in his place like a dog. I, I love that there's a physical reaction to um, like him getting kicked out of her mind in particular because he's like getting roadblocked from everybody else. <laughs> but then he tries to do it with her. And she's so forceful that he has a physical reaction to it. <laughs> I love it. It's just like she, like, it's like, did she get a bit too pissed and go a bit too far? Or she wanted 
to show off a little bit and be like, fucker, don't you dare try that shit again. <laughs> Epiphanies does something that I think is very important in the villain arc of Bester, which is it shows weaknesses. He's pretty much been invulnerable to this point. Yeah, they've come up with ways to contend with him, but he has unflappable confidence in himself. And here they keep finding ways of whittling him down, where in the conference room they make these statements like this, the classic B5 jokey, we hate you because you suck statements that we love so much as Mm -hmm. viewers. And at the end of the episode... He comments on that. Like, he's talking to his frozen girlfriend and he's commenting I'll on. I'll get the, them back. Those they may be laughing. He's, he's like, they're, they're probably laughing at my misfortune, like us, the viewer, are. And he's like, <laughs> let them laugh. Let them laugh. And you know it hurts him. Like, it actually hurts his feelings. That, that they, do you feel bad for him, though? What was that, sorry? Do, do you feel bad for him? In no, that no, scene? no. I don't. I'm saying that it's great because it shows us that he isn't inflappable in his confidence of himself. He actually does get annoyed and upset at how little they think of him. While his whole shtick is he comes on board and he's Mr. Got the brig ready for me? Or in a previous episode, if this keeps happening, I'm going to start thinking that people don't like me around here. (laughs) And it's always this amusing thing, but it also makes him unsettling. Here... Lisa blocking him out, or, or, or the conversations he has with Sheridan, uh, or, or, or with Zach, or whatever. There's that air to it, but we actually get confirmed that he fucking hates it. He fucking hates <laughs> how they treat him as lesser than, when he thinks he's better than. I, I think this episode how does... How dare they I think not this, acknowledge that I am perfection? I think this episode does a very important job of making Bester a more uh, uh, depth-filled, like more nuanced antagonist because it does show us that you can needle at him, that you can get to him, and that there are things that do upset him. What do you think about that overall, Julio? I agree, I, but I was asking you if you felt bad for him because I couldn't tell if that scene where he's talking to his frozen girlfriend is supposed to elicit uh, sympathy from us. I, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, it, it doesn't for me. But I, I am, like I said, I, <laughs> I bring a lot of frustration now when I when I see him. I don't think I even felt for him, you know, the the first time around. And I think that he's just too. Too crooked for me to. No, no, you're not supposed to feel for him because even at the end of the scene, he does that smile and then it drops into that blank expression, and he's like, "And I'm gonna get them back for everything that like he's he's a villain." Even in this episode, he tries to like grope Lita. He like puts his hand up, and she's like, "Nope, nope." <laughs> no, and he wants to touch her. He wants to touch her because he's got the allure of power, but also mm-hmm. telepathic abilities of touch. But also, he's he's a creepy, he's he's an invasive creep. They do a good job in this series of finding new ways to make sure that you at home know that Bester is a character that you're not actually supposed to like as a person. (laughs) Like, they look at you, like, every episode he comes in, they find it, like, the last, one of the last ones we saw him in, he just says, yeah, I'm into eugenics, that's my bag. (laughs) And you're like, oh, okay. You're a fucking nasty <laughs> piece of shit. But uh, talk to us a bit, Julio, about uh, Bester, what's happening with him here and uh, your overall uh, thoughts on it coming back. Okay, so he is 
so he's in a on the surface he's in a mission from earth uh to well actually no he's not a so he's on a mission from earth uh to i guess to set a trap for babylon 5 but then but then he goes to babylon 5 to barter information on that trap uh, <laughs> hoping that they will help him get to zahadun and that's because he's hoping that it's Zahadun, uh, he'll find the key to help his frozen lover, mistress. Mm-hmm. And uh, of course, it doesn't turn out that way. But I was, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised by how duplicitous he is, but just the fact that he had, uh, that he's ballsy enough to kind of play for planet earth for the earth government and also it'd be kind of like a a, a double spy mm-hmm. with well, he's always on his own side first he sacrifices his own elite squadron that he created but he would do it all again yeah i mean yeah you find that out at the very end but even you know when he first showed up at babylon 5 i thought that he was there to to trick them and then he he sets up his proposal and even you know until the very end, I was like, okay, he he has to have a and you know something else that he's gunning for. But it turns out by the end of the day, it was kind of pretty straightforward. He really wanted to go to Zahadun uh, so he could you know save the girl, and uh, that you know like I said that didn't work out. But he, <laughs> I don't know that anything happens differently in in the rest of the story if this excursion to Zahadun had been a success. Uh, you know, I don't know that. Let's say that he had actually been able to to revive his his lover. Does that make him a different enough character <laughs> to where he doesn't do the things that he does later in the show? I don't think so. Um, it makes him feel more obliged not to be as evil to Babylon Five, but he still is anyway because he has a, he has an ace up his sleeve. He has Garibaldi, right? But that's a uh, so instead what. With this, when he feels that not just that the mission failed, but that the crew at Babylon 5 rejoices in the fact that the mission failed, uh, maybe that does make him go at them even harder in the future. Well, he already you know, activates, he already activates Garibaldi before he even, before he even arrives. They gave but him the that psychedelic thing, message to make Garibaldi quit his job. But the Garibaldi thing is not necessarily like the the fact that it screws with Babylon 5 is kind of like a side effect right like the the it gives he was Sheridan over to President Clark at the end of the season yeah but was he I'm trying to remember if the the thing because I thought the main thing with Garibaldi was also to get him to uh to basically turn him into a spy that could find out what was going on you know and so I thought that that was the primary mission and then well, everything else that happens, all the chaos that <laughs> that Garibaldi creates in his wake is just, you know, icing on the cake. Oh, but the main thing was totally. to... I think that's the case, but I think he's acting like an agent of chaos where he's like, if I make their best friend implode, it's going to fuck him up real good. And it does. It does fuck him up real good. And he's he's a he's a nice guy, but they do go, they have to go to Zaha Doom because, well, the shadows aren't there now. Yeah. And I want so we can go te- in to we can, their technology. Their t- you know, from be that, great. <laughs> we learned that that works <laughs> out great for people with that season one episode. 
Oh, yeah, where they just take random technologies from alien worlds that are long gone. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't always work out <laughs> the best. Ducky wants... did great. But he wants it, Rachel, because he's got a, a a girlfriend that he needs to revive because Franklin isn't doing a good enough job. It's too, it's too complex, and he can't trust the cycle because they still have allies of the shadows. So, eh, let's go to Zaha Doom. And while I'm on my way there, I'm going to piss off Leader Alexander so much that she's going to, with her mind, blow up the planet. I like <laughs> specifically that he is the reason that she does it. Not only because she doesn't like him, but he, in that conversation on the White Star, threatens her. He says, I know stuff about you that you wouldn't want them to know. Again, a lot of implied history, but never explicitly said. And that's the parallel between Garibaldi and Zack, where Zack and Garibaldi, this is a beautiful thing. Like, I know this stuff about you, but it doesn't matter because you've become a good person. Bester, who's also an evil cop, says, I know this stuff about you, and it's bad, and I could ruin you, so do what I say. And Lita is Miss, ah, actually, fuck you. You don't deserve to get anything you want because you suck. I like that Bester, through the actions of duplicity, he fucked himself. Like, all of this is because he fucked himself over. He's playing all of these sides against one another for his own benefit, and at the end of the episode, he is the reason he lost. Because he couldn't help but be a little eugenics freak. Whatever's happened to you, you have a moral obligation to share it with the core, Lita. The core is mother. The core is father. In that case, Mr. Bester, I'm an orphan. <laughs> Not an orphan. Just a confused, frightened child who's run away and needs to be reminded where home is. There are moments where I, I feel especially by the end of the series, that, that say, Sheridan ha- has a really cold and distant relationship with some of the other characters. And I really like how it comes to fruition here, where you have the juxtaposition of everyone's partying and celebrating over the fact that they defeated the Shadows, cut to Lita's just happy that she can own some mugs. Like, that's what she gets to celebrate. She gets to celebrate that she's now allowed to own possessions because she wasn't allowed to under the previous boss she had. And no one cared. Like, even even Zack is like, oh yeah, okay, cool. So either way, the captain wants you. And it's really upsetting how Lita, she even goes over this. She gives them everything. She gives them her body, her mind, her, her her free will, all of this, and nobody respects her as a person, but Zack brings up the reasonings as to why, but I can't help but feel a little bit of that sympathy towards the fact that this poor, this, like, Lita just can't get a fucking break in this show. She can't get a fucking break in this show, and it will continue to be like that to the very end of the series, that nobody gives her any fucking slack, <laughs> and yet she brings it on herself, too. Um, I was about to say, when somebody offers her free pizza, she makes a face. Well, yeah, because she's not interested in that type of deal. Uh, she's, I, I, I really like this touch. I, I really didn't think about it until this rewatch. She laments the fact that she doesn't have any friends. She laments the fact that nobody trusts her. She is wary of Bester being on board because she's an unregistered telepath. 
He is the type of guy that will go after her no matter what, and she doesn't know if Sheridan would turn her over if it was the easy option. And Zack says at the beginning of this episode, he won't do that. You're under his protection. The captain's guarantee. And then by the end of the episode, (laughs) Sheridan guarantees her exact fear that she had at the beginning that he would turn her over, that he would give her over to the cycle, even if he masks it over with the, if you cross me in my command position, doesn't matter to Lita. What Lita sees and hears is, you are an object that I need to do certain things, and if you don't do those things, or if things become difficult for me, I will turn you over. Just like that. And to me, this conversation here is enough for my justifi- like for the justifications for why Lita will go on to do everything she does in the rest of the series. Yeah. Like the that 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 fear set in the conversation with Sheridan, you understand both sides. Yeah, it's sort of the I was inverse. about to ask you if you if you could see where Sheridan was coming from as well. Because <laughs> I agree with you. It it justifies everything that happens with Lita later. But as I was seeing Sheridan losing his shit in that scene. I'm like, it makes sense. You know, he's he's a soldier <laughs> and he felt undermined. It that's what's the beauty of this scene. And so many conflicts in Babylon 5, especially when they're interpersonal conflicts through through our crew, you understand where both sides are coming from. You may be on one person's side over the other, but you you can see the justifications for why they're coming at it the way that they are. Because that's how life can be. That's how life can be. There's this rule, and and modern Star Trek really fucks this up. Like, there's this idea in Star Trek that they don't have interpersonal conflicts. That's bullshit. They do. They do. They have, and they always do. (laughs) But you have to make it understandable. Modern Star Trek forgets that so many times. But here, I completely know where Sheridan's coming from, and I completely know where Lita's coming from, and I completely, like, and I truly understand why they will butt heads for the rest of the series because of this conversation here. Now, Rachel, you're going to say some words of wisdom to us? She's the inverse of Jakar in that way, where she starts out trusting everybody regardless of how much they're like her. She sees everybody equal. She seeks out the vul and sh- she responds to and respects the command staff. And she turns inward to people who are like her because of the brutality of others. And it's really interesting that they get paired together in the end. It is interesting. And they were paired together in the pilot as well. A very different relationship in the pilot, but it was there nonetheless. She got angry. She got pissed off. You see her reaching her boiling point throughout the episode that these things are uh, are gnawing away at her. And she has her pickup moments as well when she, she bats away Bester in her brain. But that conversation with him where he is also just treating her as an object, as a thing. You are owing us this. You don't have autonomy in any fashion. Where she's just lived a life under that rule of the Vorlons. Yeah, that's going to piss her off. That's going to make her do these things. And when she does it and she explains it, I have a big smile on my face because she's one of the few people to actually take direct action against Bester in this entire show. (laughs) All of them. Sheridan, 
I always comment this, that it's so strange to me, but in a beautiful, perfect Babylon 5 way, that a part of Sheridan's job is that he has to talk to an SS officer. Like, that's what Bester is. He's a little Nazi. And that's just his, like, that's just how he operates. He just has to sit at his desk going, yeah, I'm talking to 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 Bester. That's just it's life. It's an imperfect world. It's an imperfect world. <laughs> but it's so joyous to me that four seasons in, you get characters having an, a direct attack at Bester. Lita steps up to the plate and she fucking hits it out of the park. So I'm team Lita all the way on this, but Julio... You you can talk to us a bit more, uh, expand a bit more on uh, this conversation here between Lita and Sheridan and, and where all of this is coming from. Because, again, I also see where Sheridan, I mean, Sheridan is also completely right. But talk to us a bit about this this uh, this big scene at the end. So it is, it, this is, you know, we've been kind of like teasing it talking around it but yeah this is my favorite scene in the in the episode i i remembered that it was there i had forgotten how how powerful it is and i think like many of the things that we've been discussing i think it's enhanced because once you know what lita's journey is and what's left of the show uh you know it's it's a, it's a pivotal moment where you can see that she's um she's i guess let down in a way by Sheridan's reaction to all this, even though she should have seen it coming. <laughs> uh, I, I like that it's like you were saying each, both characters, each of them, they act the way that you would expect them to act. Uh, and it's one of those things where like, if they could work together, you know, if Sheridan was a little nicer, if he made, if everybody in the in that main crew made Lita feel like she's closer to the, like she's part of the family, I think that that's something that maybe could have changed the way that some things go in 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 this story. Uh, and maybe if Lita had been a little more open with them, uh, with Sheridan, you know, I believe him. Maybe you guys disagree, but I believe him when he says that he probably would have agreed to it if if Lita had confided in him what you know, what she thought of doing, uh, there's a good chance that he would have gone with it. Do you guys think that that's, that's the case? Or do you I think do. that, uh, yeah, I believe right? Because it's a good strategy. <laughs> it is. I guess a question for you, because you're fresh from just having finished this off for the first time. And I, I don't know the answer for myself. Do you think that Sheridan likes telepaths? Like, do you think Sheridan, when it's all said and done, do you think he respects them and sees them as actual individual, as humans, as like equal? I think so. Yeah, I, I can't think of an instance where that I could point to and say no, he's he's prejudiced against them in that sense. I, I also think that he considers them dangerous. Yeah. And well, I ask because that- he 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 here, and then with Byron and the colony. He needs them to be resources. If you're going to be here, you have to pay us back. You have to do a thing. Leader, you have to come when you're unpacking your house to help us because Best is here. Like, I always am curious of that because I agree that he seems like a good dude. Sheridan seems like a good dude pretty pretty much. And he even has lines of dialogue where he, he says he looks at people as individuals, not organizations. But there is a running thing with him and the telepaths where... They have to pay him back 
for him to respect them or for him to even want them around. And later in this season, they fucking take Leader's quarters away from her. And <laughs> yeah, so- that's pretty shitty. But I don't think that that's... I mean, it's unfortunate that it pans out that way, but it, from what I remember, that's just kind of a, a side effect of bigger things that are happening. Oh, yeah. Right? Because isn't that around the time that uh, uh, other people are also losing their quarters? It's mainly Lita. And, but, but you've seen season five. There's a big, that's, I think that's one of the big question marks on, on Sheridan and his leader and his leadership, but also him as an individual. We know Garibaldi hates telepaths. He, he, he says this in the very pilot episode. And, and, Ivanova has complicated feelings about them as well. And we know Franklin's all cool with telepaths, and we know in this episode that Zack doesn't seem to mind at all. In fact, he doesn't care if the girl he likes can read his mind. In fact, he wants that. <laughs> he's, a, he's a little horn dog. He buys her a pizza. But I don't, I don't know. I'm glad that you're on the more positive end, because I, I guess on this watch, I, I, I'm questioning it. When you have a scene like... Well, but I think that... Uh, I think that- it's more about, I think that's just how Sheridan treats people. I, I don't think that it's exclusive telepaths. The difference is that some of the other characters have had a lot more time to to develop a relationship with him. So when he treats them as resources, well, they, they have a, a stronger relationship that kind of can make them look past that. But when he does it to somebody like Lita, where they never had that that connection, then it feels a lot more impersonal and a lot more like, oh, yeah, he's he's just using her. And, and actually, that's the other thing I was going to say. Like, Lita has that um, disadvantage of not being there, not having been there 24-7 like all the other characters. So they... It's almost like they can't help but not having her be part of the the inner circle, you know, even though she's probably the most powerful out of all of them. And even though they could, she could really help out more than, you know, she actually does. There's, in a way, it makes sense, right? She was not there (laughs) for a lot of it. So, uh, and they can't trust her because she was, I was saying the distrust is there. Uh, But as far as Sheridan, I mean, I think that he's, uh, I think that's, I would make the argument that that's more of a general blind spot in his leadership style. He'll just, sometimes he'll just use people, you know, because that's the most efficient thing to do. And a very volatile way of that, looking at things, huh? Yeah. I mean, but, but, you know, when he does it to someone like Ivanova, she, you know, she just takes it and she just goes because she knows that. Because they're friends. Because <laughs> they're friends. Yeah. Next episode will be fine. Well, I'm glad we're talking theory here. Because as much as I may agree with your reasons, might even have supported the decision if this were to happen again, if a command-level decision were made without consulting me, I would turn you over to the Psychor and let them turn you inside out. Am I perfectly crystal clear? Yes, sir. Oh, it has the best acting from Patricia Tolman, the best moment of acting. I mean, granted, this is from someone who's only rewatched some episodes, uh, which is right after Sheridan leaves and then Zach comes in and he knocks on the door or something. And she just, she kind of like half sighs and says yes. Mm. And, it, you know, you can tell she's trying really quickly to compose herself because, you know, she was shaking, she was about to break and then somebody else is coming in. And uh, that moment, it's, uh, 
she just nails it. It's just so awesome. And then <laughs> the fact that she has to deal with Zach after she didn't know this. it was going to be Zach necessarily. It Nine. could have been Sheridan coming back to box something more at us. So she had to make sure she's extra strong. And then it's Zach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can tell. I mean, you know, she has that moment. She's not looking at the camera. You just, I think that's why I like it so much because you can just tell from just the way that she that she says it. Yeah, you know, and the way that she's says, holding yes. herself in that moment mm-hmm. as well of sort of like she takes a little bit of a breath and tries to like straighten up. It's yeah, I agree. That was a marvelously, uh, marvelously put together piece of acting from Patricia Tolman. What would you share a slice of pizza with Zach Allen, Rachel? I, <laughs> I, I am interested with the description of the pizza first before I give my answer, which is he got half cheese, mm-hmm. half pepperoni. You can't trust if it's pepperoni. Or at least they call it pepperoni. <laughs> Just don't look so at it. So I don't, yeah, I don't think I want that pizza. Um, but <laughs> I I would love to share a pizza with Zach Allen. Maybe just not that one. Or I would, <laughs> I would go for the cheese half, but I'm also like, it's probably not like traditional cheese. Because I don't think they have cows on Babylon 5. Jeez. (laughs) I would share a slice with him. He seems so nice. I am a a shipper for for Lita and Zach, even though I know it's doomed and I know that she's not interested. (laughs) What I like about his relationship with Lita is it feels honest where, yeah, he looks at her butt. He does. He does in this episode. He looks at her butt. But he doesn't do the Garibaldi where he's like, I'll look at her butt and then giggle and make crude statements and that's the end of my courtship. Like with Talia, he actually wants to follow through. Like, yeah, he checks it out, he checks her out, but I mean, come on. That that happens. When I was dating you, Rachel, I checked you out. And we would go forward. We would just go more than that. And I like that he wants a genuine relationship. I never get the sensation that he's here just for a fuck session. That's it. And and I, I, I think that Jeff does a great job of communicating that. He, he just has a level of honesty in his performance that's just throughout this entire episode. And so I'm a big shipper of it, even though I know it's doomed to fail, because gosh darn it, in this world with intergalactic wars and people knowing that they're going to die the most horrible of ways and planets are blowing up, God, you know, Maybe I'm just a sweetheart, but a guy whose biggest struggle is, should I buy a lady a pizza? <laughs> dang, dang it. You got me. He's cute. It's cute. It's cute that in this episode where people are quitting their jobs, people are blowing up planets, getting yelled at, he's just Mr. Huh. I'm going to shoot my shot. Hope it works. <laughs> We have a section on this podcast where we shine a spotlight on an actor or actress that appeared in a given episode, and I'm the only one who knows what person we're doing a spotlight on. I haven't talked to Rachel, I haven't talked to Julio, I know, because we don't have very many guest stars. There's the mustache man who gives Bester his assignment, looked over his career, not too much. The most notable thing is he was the first ever Klingon that we saw. He, he wasn't the main Klingon, he was just the guard, but he was the first ever Klingon we saw in Star Trek, ever. So, that is notable. But I want to talk about the 
ISN news anchor. Because uh, she has a bit of an interesting history. Uh, Lauren Sanchez is her name, and she's a real news anchor. So she plays nothing but news anchors, okay? She does nothing but that. (laughs) Day after tomorrow, Hollywood Homicide, Fantastic Four, Girlfriend's Day, Ted 2, White House Down. She was in... um, those Gotham Tonight specials. Do you remember those, Julio, by any chance? The Gotham Tonight. They were these little bonuses that were with the Dark Knight where it was about the news of Gotham covering the events of everything happening. Do you remember those by any chance? No. I mean, that sounds fun. They're, they're really fun, and they have some cool actors that appear in them, and she's a, a, a real uh, news person. And there's Fun stuff with the Dark Knight trilogy with those uh, bonus DVD features and things of that. She was in Fight Club. But I really wanted to note down a piece of trivia that is here about her. And maybe, Julio, this will come flashing back to you because this is an American piece of news. It's right here. On the 9th of January, 2019, it was revealed that she separated from her husband and was having an affair with Jeff Bezos of uh, his Amazon, (laughs) right? And one of, do you remember this story? Uh, One of Trump's (laughs) political supporters threatened to publish these photos, this evidence, to blackmail Jeff Bezos, who owns the Washington Post, a newspaper that heavily criticizes Trump. So that's her his- that's that's a piece of information. Where then Jeff Bezos just said, fuck it, I'm gonna release the photos myself. Uh, I'm just gonna drop <laughs> this stuff because I'm not gonna bow down. And so it ended her marriage, put her at an oh. interesting place in the fact that she's a news reporter, she's an anchor, and I don't have much else. She's just a news person. And I, I, I don't know what it is about these news people who get embroiled in these scandals or, or ones that eventually become those conservative Fox News people or whatever. When you look at their catalog and they appear in something like, say, Babylon 5, where they're playing a propaganda fascist news reporter <laughs> do you think they ever sense the irony do you, do you think they ever just sense it in themselves I, I i'm not too sure but i that's my spotlight it's nothing too major we don't have any big players that we haven't covered before and the ones that are here don't have too much other than just interesting little tidbits of trivia like that but I read that and my jaw hit the floor. And I thought, well, maybe Julia will remember that news story because that seems like a big deal. Like, that's a big deal, right? Uh, maybe. In America, I it's, mean, it's small fish. We do that every Tuesday, Ryan. Every Tuesday. I mean, yeah. <laughs> you guys suck. Especially if you're talking about... In the uh, Trump years, yeah. Yeah, Trump-related scandals. That's pretty small. a new one every day, yeah. What would you rate this episode, Rachel? Yum being bad and yum yum being good. Yum yum. Yum yum. I rate this episode yum yum as well. Yum yum. Julio, it's all on you now. It's a yum yum. Yum yum. That's nothing but yum yums for Julio. Have we given a yum this season? No, we ha- we haven't, no, because every episode... This is like the opposite of Discovery Season 4, where we gave <laughs> nothing but yums, except for that one time I gave a yum-yum. Or did I? I don't remember. I don't you think so. did. I did? Julio, you have to listen through once you're done with Discovery to tell I me. I swear you did. And so uh, we're giving nothing but yum-yums here, because this is a great show, and this is one of the best seasons of that show. Arguably the best. Mm. Rachel, I need to hear... 
What will we be talking about next time on Babylon 5? On the next Interstellar Network News, an exclusive look inside Babylon 5. We'll take you aboard the Rebel headquarters in the aftermath of the Shadow War. Then he broke his allegiance to Earth Command. Now find out what the future holds for Captain Sheridan and his renegade crew. Nothing will be able to stop us. Plus, a former Babylon 5 official speaks out against his old boss. He has like a god complex. An in-depth report on the next Babylon 5. Episode 8, The Illusion of Truth. Sheridan gives clearance to a news team that says it wants to make an unbiased documentary report on B5 and its crew. But there may be no way to undo the damage (laughs) when the supposedly (laughs) truthful program airs. I have a note next to that episode called Julio really loved what Garibaldi did in this one. <laughs> Where Garibaldi gave his interview to ISN that basically said, uh, uh, yeah, Sheridan yeah. sucks and Delenn's a freaky alien that I don't like. <laughs> this is, uh, like, I like the episode. It's also, I, I think that's one of those episodes that paints Sheridan as really dumb. It's infuriating. Sheridan yeah. dumb? No, <laughs> no. You know, he can be really. No he can be really smart sometimes, and then he can be completely oblivious to the power of the media. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> and that's what makes him a fascinating character because he's so smart and dumb. And they, how do you play it? You have to play it right, or else oh, you make them a total fool yes. or a total genius that's boring to watch. You have to hit yeah, that sweet it, spot where they're they're fallible. You can make them fail. You can make them make. But we'll talk about it all next time, Rachel. Uh, next time, so everyone, please make sure to check out the illusion of truth and go over it and let us know your thoughts and opinions and everything about epiphanies. You can follow us on any of your social medias under Yum Yum Pod or Yum Yum Podcast. You can also email us at yumyumpod at gmail All of this is in the description below, as well as where you can find and follow Julio and his podcast. But please, give us your plug, Julio. Just just say to our yumlings out there who you are, what you do, and where you can be found. Well, yumlings, uh, you can check out our show. uh, Just do a search for The Contrarians. Uh, If you're on Twitter, just look up Contrarian Prime, at Contrarian Prime. Uh, Same on Instagram. Uh, on Facebook is facebook.com slash contrarian prime. Lots of ways of contacting us. Uh, you can you can ask me. Tell me to point you in the direction of the Ryan episodes, the upcoming Rachel episode, and I'll, I'll tell you, yeah, that's a good start. On you some can... occasions, you're also, we are the contrarians. So that's another well, one. That Your if, email. Yeah, if you want the website, your we email bugs me because whenever I'm like, I'll email Julio, I'll write contrarians and it won't come up. Because it's like, that's not what it's called. It's not contrarians. At, no, it's we are the contrarians at gmail.com. Like, you son of a bitch. I don't think to write W first. I'm like, oh, you're contrarians. <laughs> because you will say we are the contrarians at the beginning. Could, could, you give, yeah. could you give me a taste of that? Could you give me a little taste of you saying we are the contrarians? Am I the one that says we are the contrarians? Or is it Alex? You, I don't you, remember. Give, give me a taste. Give daddy a taste. <laughs> oh. This I don't is, know. This now is I'm, his now yum I'm yum. By the way, this is his yeah. yum yum. <laughs> Say the line, uh, Julio. <laughs> uh, we are the contrarians.com. I don't remember how we even say it. Wow. But I would just say, uh, yeah, if you want any of that contrarians goodness, just visit we are the contrarians.com. Thank you. 
Uh, Jukar said in the very pilot episode, the first episode, mm-hmm. he only ever said mm-hmm. it once. This is continuity that never follows through. The farewell mm-hmm. phrase that all nans say, which is, <laughs> Good, Good eating to you. you. Ah, Mr. Kelly.